All right. Well, if you brought your Bibles with you, let's go over. Are y'all comfortable? Hot? Everybody good? Everybody good? I want everybody to be comfortable. All right. Let's go to two places. Let's go to Second Peter, chapter three, once again. <clears throat> and also, if you will, go ahead and look up Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. Go ahead and look both of those up, and that'll save us a little bit of time. Second Peter chapter three, Second Corinthians chapter five. Did I say that right? 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Peter 3. Alright. We'll go to 2 Peter 3 first. We're using this as our theme text for where the Lord is taking us. 2 Peter chapter 3. The I shared this with you last week, but let me bring it up again. The letters of First and Second Peter are written predominantly to Jewish Christians. And Peter is about to address some things. We're going to read it here. Peter is about to address some things concerning the end times and what they had been taught in Judaism concerning the end times. And so I want to pick up here in verse 7. says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. To usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in Him in peace, without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the, word, to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Now, I want to back up here for just a moment in verse 13. Again, Peter is writing to Jewish Christians. He said, nevertheless, we according to His promise or according to His word look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We looked at a couple of scriptures last week. I'm going to, just going to shoot them up on the screen for you. You can take note. The prophet spoke that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65, 17, God said, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. Again, in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 22, the prophet Isaiah, as the mouthpiece of God, said, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So here we have from the Old Testament out of the mouth of Isaiah that there would be a new heavens and a new earth. And this is what Peter is addressing here. Back up to verse 10 for a moment. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness." We talked about the fact that this is not referring to the destruction or the annihilation of the heavens and the earth. And this is referring to a renewal, a refurbishing of the heavens and the earth. And I shared some things with you last week in the Greek, and I want to break it down just a little bit again, because I want this as a foundation for where we're, where we're going this morning. Notice here in verse 10, He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away. If you're taking notes, I want you to take note of that word, pass away, in the Greek. The word pass away in the Greek is perekomai. Perekomai. Let me just spell it for you if you're taking notes. P-A-R-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. P-A-R-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. And that word in the Greek or in the New Testament or when it's used in the New Testament means to pass from one condition to another. It is never used of annihilation. So this is not talking about the annihilation of the heavens and the earth. God's not going to wipe this thing out and start over from scratch. But there is going to be a renewing. There is going to be a refurbishing of the heavens and the earth. Again, verse 10, he said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away or pass from one condition to another with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Take a note of that word, elements. And when it's talking about the elements there, it's not talking about the elements that you learned in science class on the, the, what is it, the geology table or physics or whatever it is. This is talking about something on a spiritual level. Let me just read you a couple of notes here, or read you a note here. This is from Finest Dake in his Bible. It says, This word elements has reference to the principles or basic elements of the present world system of evil spirits, sinful and fallen nature, germs, corruptions, and all elements by which people corrupt themselves. So the word elements here is not referring to the physical elements of this universe. It is referring to the spiritual elements of the curse. And we looked last week that there, about the fact that there is coming a time when the curse that is over this earth because of the fall of man will be lifted and will be removed and this earth will be regenerated, it will be renewed and it will be refurbished. He said that the earth said the heavens, again, verse 10, the heavens shall pass away or pass from one condition to another with a great noise and the elements of the curse shall melt. Take a note of the word melt. That word melt in the Greek is luo, L-U-O, L-U-O. And it's translated all over the New Testament as the word loose. The Bible talks about binding and loosing. It's this Greek word luo. So what he says here, that these elements will be loosed. There will be a loosing. There will be a removal of the curse. Now go down to verse 13, please. It says, Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for new heavens and a new earth. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that are translated new. One of them is the word neos, which means brand new. If you went and bought a new car, got it off the showroom floor, it would be neos. It would be brand new. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here in the Greek is the word kainos. K-I-N-O-S. K-I-N-O-S. The word kainos refers to a renewing and a refurbishing. A renewing and a refurbishing. So when he says here there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, he's not talking about something brand new, but he is talking about a renewing and a refurbishing of the heavens and the earth. Say, well, Kenneth, why are you bringing all this up? Well, when you read what Peter said here, he's not strictly talking about the end times. 
he is making a comparison between what is going to come about with the new heavens and the new earth and the way you and I are to live in the rotten here and now. And if you look at verses 10 and 11, he says, But at the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Now he's making a comparison here. What manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Notice here in verse 13, he says, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, again he's making a comparison. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now take note in verse 13. Notice he says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We're going to get into that in great detail this morning. The thing that's going to change this heaven and this earth, the thing that's going to renew it, the thing that's going to refurbish it, is the power of righteousness. Now hang on to that and turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Very familiar verse of Scripture. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Same Greek word used when it talks about the removal of the heavens and the earth that are now. It is a word that means to pass from one condition to another. Parekomai. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away or passes from one condition to another. Behold, all things are become new. And the word that's used there is the word kainos, which means renewal, refurbishing. If any man be in Christ, he is a new kainos creature. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because I want you to realize that the new birth is not the end result. It's not the objective. It's the starting point. And God has had us reborn so that we can be renewed. And every day of our life as we walk with the Lord ought to be a day of renewal. And things get better and better and better and better and better. So if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Well, what's the power that's going to do that? Go down to verse 21 of chapter 5 and it will tell you. He says, talking about Jesus going to the cross, says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us that knew no sin, or who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The same power that's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth is the same power that will renew and refresh and refurbish us day in and day out as we walk with the Lord. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about righteousness. Let me just give you some definitions here. The word righteousness itself is an old English word, and it means to be in right standing with, or to be rightly related to somebody. To be in right standing with, or to be rightly related to somebody. It is a word, when it's used in the New Testament, to be righteous before God, means that you have the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. I want to say that again. To be righteous before God 
is the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without guilt, without fear, and without condemnation. And let me just say to you, if you're not aware of it, there is not one thing that you can do to earn righteousness. Righteousness is a free gift. Righteousness is given to us who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Righteousness is given to us as a free gift because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now I want to show you some references here. I want this established in your thinking for where we're going. I'm laying a foundation for something here. But I want to show you some scriptures. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 is a very famous verse of Scripture. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Has anybody ever heard that one? Heard that Scripture? (laughs) Have you ever heard any sermons on that? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've heard sermons on that, and and basically they were messages and sermons of condemnation. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what's interesting, if you look at that verse of Scripture within the context of what Paul was talking about, he wasn't speaking condemningly at all. In fact, back up here to verse 19. It says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith... Now this is talking about the law of Moses. This is talking about the Ten Commandments. Whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Look at verse 20. This is going to come up again later. Take a note. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, or by the Ten Commandments, or trying to keep the Ten Commandments, there shall no flesh be justified. Now, the word justified, it, I don't know why the King James translators did it like this, but the word justify and the word righteousness are the exact same word in the Greek. So to justify means to make righteous. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, or trying to keep the law, there shall no flesh be justified or made righteous in his sight. Look at the end of verse 20. Take a note of it. Here's the reason the Ten Commandments were given. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, look. But now... The righteousness, the ability to stand in the presence of a holy God without fear, without guilt, without condemnation. But now the righteousness of God without the law, without the Ten Commandments is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, look unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference." Now let me just ask you this. How many of you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Raise your hand. Now, take your hand and point it at yourself and say this. I am righteous. Now some of you may choke when you first try to say that. But I want you to realize that righteousness is a free gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God knew what a mess you were. God knows how screwed up you are. But it's not about you. It's about Him. It's not about you. It's about His sacrifice. And you are made the righteousness of God in Him. And it's something that you have to receive by faith, not your track record. Because the truth of the matter is, if we all look at our track record, we're all messed up. Isn't that true? So righteousness has been granted to us, not because of our goody-goody two-shoes conduct. It has been granted to us as a free gift because of Jesus' sacrifice. That's what verse 23 is talking about. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Verse 24, being justified or made righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission or the removal of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just or righteous and the justifier of him that believeth on Jesus. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have been made the righteousness of God. Now with that said, I want you to understand this. Righteousness is more than just a position. Yes, we are righteous by position. Jesus made us righteous. And we need to declare that righteousness. I am righteous before God. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what my reputation is. I am righteous before God because of Jesus' sacrifice. But I want you to realize that righteousness is more than just a position. Righteousness, listen, is a spiritual force that when we begin to walk in it, it will renew us on a daily basis. It will bring a freshness to our walk with God. It's designed to renew, refresh, and refurbish us on a daily basis, just like one day it's going to refresh and refurbish this heaven and earth. It should be working in us now. Righteousness is designed to change the way we think. Take a note of that. Righteousness is designed to change the way we think. With that said, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. A couple of doors to the right. Ephesians chapter 4. While you're looking that up, everything that I just said to you was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 23, 6. Jeremiah is speaking the word of the Lord. It says, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. I'm not righteous because of me. I'm righteous because of him. And I don't have this in my notes, but I, if you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 54, 17, because this is going to come up. Later, in, at least in principle. Isaiah 54, 17. Isaiah is prophesying. He said to the, to the people of God, He said, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will judge and condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what everybody says about you or what they think. It doesn't matter about the rumor mill. Did you know there's a rumor mill in Menard? Did you, are you are aware of that? Yeah. The smaller the town, the bigger the rumors. Or at least it seems that way. But I want you to realize that righteousness is more than just a position. It is a spiritual power. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives this instruction. Well, let's start with verse 21, read down into it. said, If so be that you have heard Him, talking about Jesus, and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Change the way you think. Verse 24. And that you put on the new man. And that word new in the Greek is kainos. Put on the new man. Which is renewed in knowledge. 
Or verse 24, And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now the literal Greek text says that you put on the new man which is created in righteousness, listen, and holiness of the truth. Did you know you can't separate truth and holiness? You can't separate them. If you have your Bible somewhere printed on it, you probably have the term Holy Bible. You know why it's holy? It's the truth. You can't separate holiness and truth. And he said, put on the new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Righteousness is designed to change the way we think. And it's designed to change the way we think about two things. Righteousness, first of all, is designed to change the way we think, number one, about ourselves. Did you know how you think about you is very important? And secondly, it's designed to change the way we think about God. Those two things. Righteousness changes the way we think about ourselves, and righteousness changes the way we think about God. You know why those two things? Because those were the first two casualties in the fall. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, let's just read down into it, verse 1. said, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let me just say this, just kind of a side thought. Adam and Eve didn't go around talking to the animals. This wasn't like Dr. Doolittle. This was a supernatural manifestation. The problem was, Eve thought, since it was supernatural, had to be God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, the woman was deceived. The man was not, but the woman was deceived. Not everything supernatural is of God. Did you know that? We serve a supernatural God, but we have to be discerning when it comes to the supernatural. Verse 1, Yea, if God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden... The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You all know this story. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Right? Look what happened. Verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Aprons. The first thing that happened when they disobeyed God and man fell is they got their eyes on themselves and all they saw was their own nakedness. All they saw was their own vulnerability. Now they had committed the one sin, but I want you to see this is a type and a shadow and a pattern of the fall of man. When a fallen individual looks at themselves, all they can see is their own nakedness, their own vulnerability, their own failure, how many mistakes they've made, how they've messed up, how they fouled up. And just like Adam and Eve, most people, because they see themselves in such a light of failure, they do everything that they can trying to cover up their nakedness. So we all have our own little fig leaves that we try to wear, don't we? 
And we spend our whole lives trying to cover our nakedness. And when you study the Word of God, you find out that these fig leaves are a type of self-righteousness. We try to do everything we can, trying to please God and trying to cover up our nakedness. So the first casualty in the fall is the way that we see ourselves. And we try, we spend our whole lives, or many people try to spend their whole lives trying to cover up their nakedness because they have such a distorted, horrible view of themselves. But the, or the Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 64, 6, he said, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Fig leaves won't do. Fig leaves won't work. But I also want you to see this. Not only did they become distorted in the way they saw themselves, they also received a distorted view of God. Look at verse 8. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, it's apparent, or at least Scripture indicates, that God entered the garden on a fairly regular basis. And you've got to realize, just a few minutes before, here was Adam and Eve walking in the glory of God, walking with their Creator, and in their eyes, He was the loving, heavenly Father. But when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and disobeyed God... In just a moment of time, here's God. He's coming into the garden just like He had always done. Adam, where are you? But this time, when they heard the voice of God, they weren't hearing the voice of a loving Heavenly Father. In their ears, they were hearing something very different. You see, their viewpoint of God had changed because the viewpoint of themselves had changed. And he was no longer a loving heavenly father. Now he was this ogre who was out to destroy them. Was that a true picture of God? Absolutely not. But that's the way they saw him because of how they saw themselves. So the first two casualties in the fall was how they saw themselves and how they saw God. Now, what happened? What happened? We won't take the time to look it up, but let me just share this with you. When they fell and they heard Adam's vo- or heard God's voice in the garden, and they ran from God, the new picture that they had of God is this big, mean ogre of a God. They were now seeing God through Satan's eyes. Because that's how Satan sees God. And you can study it out and find out that that is a revelation of the wrath of God. And let me throw this out at you. I've had this happen. Cindy's had this happen. We've had it happen with each other. We've had it happen with other people. And you probably have too. Here's God in the garden. He hadn't changed. He's still the loving Heavenly Father. Adam, where are you? But what did Adam hear? Adam! (laughs) Where are you? Have you ever had that happen? 
where you say one thing and people hear something totally different. And you're saying one thing one way, and by the time it hits their ear, it turns totally backward. If you've been married over 15 minutes, you've had it happen. Yes. Out of the abundance, that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's Matthew 12, 34. But I want to tell you something. Out of the abundance of the heart, the ear hears. Have you ever heard the term, people hear what they want to hear? <laughs> What's going on? I mean, if I, if I walk up to Lisa and I say, Lisa, how are you doing? And what she hears is, how are you? What's your problem? If that's what she hears, and I didn't say that, and I didn't intend that, what is the issue? Well, let me tell you, there is a, there is a, a spirit that works in the area of communication. It's called a lying spirit. A lying spirit is not just a spirit that makes people tell lies. A lying spirit is a spirit that gets involved in the communication between two people and twists the words so that by the time it comes out of their mouth and hits their ears, it's totally twisted. And Satan absolutely loves to get a husband and wife in conflict like that where they're trying to communicate with one another and the whole thing just absolutely blows up. Why? Because they're both hearing something different than what the other intended. What's the problem? The problem is you've got a third party over here playing both ends against the middle. So what do you need to do? Well, first of all, realize that there is another party involved. Come together in agreement and deal with it. Cast it out. Cast it out. But I can prove to you that Adam heard God's voice incorrectly. Because listen, the Word says in Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Anytime we hear the voice of God, if we hear the voice of God correctly, it should bring faith into our heart. But it didn't, Adam. It brought fear. It brought fear. So, the first two casualties of the fall was how Adam saw himself and how Adam saw God, how he heard God. All of this was because they were in unrighteousness. But I want to show you something. Verse 7, let's contrast something here for just a second. Verse 7 says, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They tried to make themselves righteous before God. And you need to realize that throughout the Scriptures... Well, we'll look at it in just a second. That that righteousness is compared to clothing. So you go down to verse 21 of chapter 3. The fig leaves won't do. Verse 20 says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. She was the mother of all living. Look at verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now listen, God wasn't sitting in heaven with a knitting needle, knitting needle making them a coat. Some animals had to die in order to provide them a covering. Say, well, what kind of animals was it? Well, you go down to Genesis 4. says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And Cain said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his able bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Well, now wait a second. Abel became a shepherd. He became a keeper of sheep. Why would he become a keeper of sheep? 
Well, it wasn't because they ate the sheep, because man was vegetarian until after the flood of Noah. So why would they have the sheep? They had the sheep for sacrifice. Where did they learn about the sacrifice of sheep? In the garden. And the first one that made the sacrifice was God Himself. And He sacrificed two sheep and then clothed them with the skins of those sheep. And God was telling them, your fig leaves aren't good enough. So I will provide your righteousness. I will provide your covering. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. In Luke 15.22, if you remember the story of the prodigal son, when the prodigal came home, says, But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. The first thing the prodigal son did was clothe, or, or that the father did, was clothe the prodigal son with a robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus in John 1.29, says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And did you know the Bible says in Romans 13.14, says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Do you know how you put on Jesus? You know the primary way you put on Jesus? You know the primary way you put on that robe of righteousness? is by the words of your mouth. Dare to confess that you're the righteousness of God, regardless of how you feel, regardless of your track record, regardless of how the enemy's trying to hit you with condemnation and a sense of failure. Begin to declare, I am the righteousness of God. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be clothed with the robe of righteousness. Let Him begin to change the way you think. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 17. John said, For the law, talking about the Ten Commandments, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You're going to look at yourself in either one of two ways. You're either going to see yourself through the eyes of the law or the Ten Commandments. And if you do that, all you're going to do is see yourself as a failure. You will never measure up if all you do is see yourself through the Ten Commandments, trying to keep the commandments, trying to, trying to constantly uh, fulfill God's law in your own strength and in your own ability. You'll never measure up. But you can also see yourself another way not by the law of Moses, but by grace and truth, which comes by Jesus Christ. Now I want to give you an illustration of this. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John's Gospel chapter 8. I want you all to pay very close attention. Because everything that I've said to you is to this point, for this purpose. So pay very close attention to what we're about to read. John chapter 8, verse 1. 
says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him. And He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees... Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were, were the Jewish leaders in Israel. They were the cream of the crop. They did everything they could trying to keep the Ten Commandments, trying to keep the law of Moses as perfectly as they could. Says the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now that's interesting. Here is a woman caught red-handed. <laughs> I mean, busted. But I have a couple of questions. Verse 4, they say to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Hey, where's the guy? Last I heard, it takes two. Right? They say unto him, this whole thing's a setup. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Now get the picture of this. Here's a woman caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, the Ten Commandments, she is busted, signed, sealed, delivered, guilty. She deserves to die. No ifs, ands, or buts. No mercy, no way out. She's supposed to die. Verse six, 5, once again. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now that's very interesting because now they have taken her case and transferred it to Jesus. Jesus, what do you think about this? What is your verdict? We'll make you judge over this woman. Now this woman is guilty. She's not just accused. She was taken in the act. She is guilty, red-handed, busted. But Jesus is now in charge of her case. And this is a side thought, but you might enjoy this. In the American court system, you have a prosecuting attorney, you have a defense attorney, two lawyers, and then you have a judge. In the Jewish court of law, there was no defense attorney. In the Jewish court of law, your judge was also the defense lawyer. And they just turned this thing over to Jesus. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what saith thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. If you're taking notes, take note of that. That they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, I want you to get the picture of this, man. Here's these people. First of all, they're accusing the woman. Now they're accusing Jesus. They want to accuse him. And let me tell you something. Whenever you're dealing with somebody that is so quick to point the finger, you are dealing with a satanic spirit. Revelation 12.10 And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Anytime you've got somebody that's constantly accusing people, gossiping about people, you are dealing with a satanic spirit. Are you listening? In fact, the word Satan 
It means the adversary. But one of the meanings of the word Satan is the gossiper. Isn't that fun? And so if you're gossiping about somebody, you are Satanizing them. You are accusing them. Okay. He's singing this morning. He's happy. Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now let me show you this. Lisa, you're going to be the woman in adultery. Come up here. Okay. Well, it says it says they set her in the midst. All right. Now, here's Jesus. Now, all these people are ready to throw rocks. Jesus said what? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Right? So here's Jesus, and he, he didn't stay to watch the guys leave. He just stooped down in the dirt, starts writing. And then he hears one rock, and then another rock. And another rock. All these rocks are beginning to hit the ground. And finally the rocks quit. She's still standing there. And Jesus stands up and He just looks at her. Now, she is facing the one man who has the right to throw the first rock. He's without sin. Thank you. He's without sin. She's looking at him right in the face. Here is the man of God, the prophet of God. And watch what he says. Verse 10, when Jesus had lifted him up, lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Now get the picture of this. Here's the woman. Here's Jesus. They're face to face. Jesus said, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Now, can you imagine what's going through this woman's mind? She's just been busted for adultery. The whole crowd knows it. Do you think she's feeling a little guilty? Sure. But what's this. She could have responded and said, I don't know, Jesus. What are you going to do? Are you going to throw a rock at me? What are you going to do, Jesus? Are you going to condemn me? Watch. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? Watch this. She said, No man, Lord. Hey, she didn't go correct. Go around. Well, I, you know, I guess I deserve you to throw a rock at me, God. I just, I just, you know what she did? Instead of judging herself by the law, she judged herself by grace and truth, and made Jesus Lord over her sin. Do you see that? You may have missed it. You may have blown it. But the Word of God says in 1 John 1, 9, 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, when you confess your sin to the Lord, that isn't when He found out about it. When you confess it to the Lord is when you're getting rid of it and you're making Jesus Lord over it so that He can remove it and eradicate it by His blood. And when that woman was standing there looking Jesus in the face, it took faith to say, No man, Lord. Watch Jesus' response. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's what righteousness does. Go and sin no more. I want, to, I want to show you something. I had some other things I was going to share with you, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and go this direction. Turn with me to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. Hebrews, the 8th chapter. We're going to receive communion this morning, but I want, want to read this to you. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 10. I want everybody to pay very close attention. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Look at verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. When was the last time you sinned? <laughs> this morning? <laughs> Before church? Last week, last month. Doesn't matter. When we confess our sin to Jesus, it says here, He remembers our sins and iniquities no more. I read that one time and I thought, I wish I could do that. I wish I could forget where I've messed up. <laughs> God supernaturally forgets. So I prayed and I said, Lord, I come before you and I, I ask you to cause me to supernaturally forget when I've missed it, when I've blown it. I'm asking you to cause me to supernaturally forget it by your power. And he did. But I didn't know for a long time what that power was until I was reading Hebrews 9. Flip over there just another chapter. Verse 12. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of bulls or goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. Look at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, watch, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What is the power that will cause you to forget? It's the blood of Jesus. You make Him Lord over your sin like that woman did. His blood will cleanse you 
from all unrighteousness so that you can truthfully say, I am the righteousness of God. And you can walk into the presence of God as your heavenly Father without fear, without guilt, and without condemnation. Now, I want, we want to receive communion this morning. Robert, would you pass out the elements, please? Serve the elements. <clears throat> We're going to receive cleansing. <clears throat>